0: I'm Andrew Junker with Roman Honeycut. Hi. And this is Why We Do This. Welcome to episode 18
1: of Why We Do This. Today we have Will Abramson. Will is one of the founders of Yours Truly, which is now branched into Yours Truly and Yours Truly Creative. Um, so Yours Truly Creative is kind of the... Uh, They call themselves an independent creative studio. So one of those companies that is sort of in between uh, just a production company and an agency. They've been doing some really, really great work lately. You should check them out. Um, And they also have the kind of original yours truly side of the brand, which is very much still aimed at uh, storytelling about music and musicians. Um, And they've kind of gone from uh, doing session videos to like more kind of articles like that you see from their website it's got sort of a magazine kind of layout now um, and a cool, like
0: like mixed media style yeah
1: yeah so we got some insight during this interview um, kind of into like his process and like what they're after um, it really is I wanted to talk to Will because you know we've we've been big fans of yours truly they started around the same time we did in 2009 we actually worked on a lot of stuff together in the beginning um when they were up here in san francisco and i've always been really drawn to their stuff because it does feel very like genuine and earnest they never really do stuff for artists they don't like um it's always driven by like a a true kind of interest in their in their craft and a passion for the music um I think that comes through in the interview too we get a little insight also into the business side of things of how they've kind of structured uh yours truly and so it was yeah it was a really good conversation um probably less about the why and more about like what and how (laughs) um yeah uh Will was nice enough to kind of take some time to chat with us uh, from their headquarters in Los Angeles. so uh, we did this via Skype. Um, so there's a little bit of that kind of going on. Yeah but I don't think it's that bad. It sounds good. <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> yeah and it's interesting to hear for them, I think it's they've they you know from will hearing about their like I'm interested in the like the evolution and how how do you do, you know, sort of like take stock of where you're at now as a as an artist, as a company, as a collective, whatever it is, and what your voice is, and and see how that can needs to change over time. Like, Will has a good perspective on sort of like knowing kind of the work that they've done and how it's just seeing when there's there's a overwhelming amount of that from other groups, and so it's mm-hmm. interesting to see kind of that self awareness and hear about the intention around kind of keeping current in a good way and keeping kind of fresh and growing into something. Like, I think the take that they've done in terms of their, like, music work is really interesting in that yeah. way, that it's like they've gone deeper instead of trying to, like, branch out in a, in a, in a, in a different kind of way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's really cool.
1: Um, the interesting thing we should mention is uh, that this is the first time we've talked to someone from another company as opposed to, like, is that right? That's interesting, I think so. It was really interesting to get, to kind of talk almost like we got into the business side a little bit there, and, and yeah. us being two of the owners of French Press, it was interesting to kind of commiserate on those things a yeah. little bit, um, and, and uh, just interesting to get his perspective on it.
2: You guys are still in the bay. We are. We are. I'm jealous. <laughs> <laughs> you miss it? Yeah, I miss it. I miss it, yeah. Were you guys smart enough to, like, buy homes in Berkeley and Oakland before it got too expensive and no, all that shit? Of no, really. pretty stupid. Still still all renting all over the place.
1: I'm still the idiot who lives in San Francisco. Everybody else lives in uh, the East Bay.
2: So, how's Los Angeles? It's cool. Um, you know, we kind of, like, I guess, like, we went more in the direction of production company than, like, music website over the past few years. But, I mean, we, I don't know, like we still have our website and we still do stuff on it, but we never really like tried to become Pitchfork or (laughs) become like a platform or whatever. Maybe we should have, but didn't. (laughs) Uh, Because it's like, you know, hindsight, hindsight, it's that like being a service provider, you're only as valuable as your clients and your work. Whereas like being a platform or being, Like, having fans or customers is really invaluable and is a way to insulate you from having to depend on clients. So that's, like, shit I've been thinking about lately. (laughs) Like, looking back at my life and my career, like, damn, why didn't we, like, do this or do that? No,
1: definitely. How are you guys doing? Pretty good. Uh, you can't really tell from this room, but we're uh, in our office in downtown Oakland. Um, it's definitely a step above. I think the last one you saw, which was like probably in the Rotunda Building. Oof! We went to San Francisco for a while, and now we're back here, and we have like a studio space, and it's just like a, a floor of a building, which is pretty cool. That's dope. We're kind of the same. Where we're client services, and it's very much like just hustling and working our asses off and but also still trying to stay sane and make the creative shit that keeps us going you know yeah because you can't do that on every project right
2: no no you can't (laughs) how long have you been doing this now i've been doing it for a very long time it's pretty wild to have not had a real job for like five years i guess like i quit my last like real job 2012 so like almost five years of like really full-time yours truly which is cool um but we started three years before that when it was just for fun and a hobby i'd gotten laid off from a job and bob and nate and i started yours truly just to try and like meet and hang out with and make stuff with musicians that were coming through san francisco and I mean, I guess we had some idea of where it could go. Like we looked at things like the Fader magazine and we were like, this is cool. This is, we love this magazine and they kind of have a business model that works in that they make things for people. And then on the other side, they have like an agency that produces events and content for brands. And so we always like conceived it as having like a public face and like a services or like B2B face and we really just started doing it for fun. And then eventually, not too far after, like people started giving us very small amounts of money to do things. And it was like the right time for the kind of stuff that we were doing on the Internet. Like It was before Instagram and Twitter and really Facebook for media companies. And so it was like, if you have a YouTube channel and a Vimeo channel, you can put things up and like blogs will cover the stuff that you do if you're making videos of bands that people care about. And because I'd worked in the music business, we were able to get access to bands that people cared about who like had nothing to do in San Francisco for the afternoon and worked down to play songs for us in various places around the city. So I don't know. I don't remember your question. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, what what were you guys like after in terms of just like the style
2: of it? I mean, we we just wanted intimacy. We really wanted musicians to let us into their private lives for just a short spell and, like, say something honest and then mostly play music that we really wanted to hear. So I I guess stylistically, we didn't want it to feel too produced. We wanted it to feel pretty raw, like you were there. And the crew, you know, the crews that we would do stuff with were really small, and there wasn't a lot that went into it aside from just, like, good camera work. I would say, because a lot of times it's either one or two people shooting. And so, yeah, it was just giving viewers the feeling like they were just sitting there at the artist's feet or in the room.
0: At the beginning of it, the work that you were putting out, were you seeing a lot of that specific type of work, or do you feel like you were...
2: Well, yeah, LaBlogitech Le- Le- Le was a huge inspiration, and Nate was already shooting for LaBlogitech when we started yours truly. Yeah, we... Watched the Blogatech videos and lost our minds. We couldn't believe it, that people were doing this. And yeah, like with Nate already connected there, we started producing the Blogatech shows and then just started doing it for ourselves just because we also wanted to have a voice in choosing the artists. And so like the Blogatech format, the one take show, it's really only as good as the musicians who are performing and the person who's holding the camera. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Nate was really great at shooting and he and I both really wanted to do the other side of the equation, which was curating the music. So rather than like getting assignments from a blog attack to do takeaway shows, we're like, why don't we just choose the bands ourselves and basically do what they're already doing, which is doing these sort of one take performance shows. But then what we wanted to add was a level of journalism for lack of a better word to the pieces and and ask artists questions about you know what they were motivated by like why they were doing it what the song in particular was about where they're headed and so our pieces in addition to performance at the very beginning also helped the audience get to know the artists a bit and we broke from the format of the one take performance like in you know the beginning of Logitech was very much like the band is walking down the streets of Paris. You know, it's like there's a lot of motion. It's always outside. It's always stripped down. We didn't really feel like that was the most important thing to capture in performance. We wanted the performances to be set in places that made sense for that particular band and that particular song. So a studio, a house outside maybe it the like setting was not like as constrained as LaBlogatech, I would say.
0: Do you remember like a moment where you really kind of made that shift from like, this is, you know, we're doing stuff for LeBlogatech and now we're doing stuff for ourselves. Was there a moment or was it a slower transition?
2: Uh, it was definitely a moment. It was like, let's do this ourselves. And Waves was coming to town and I got in touch with his publicist and he came to different Fur Studios where we did tons of sessions for many years and um, and i think he thought he was doing a little blog attack session and then we just put it out as yours truly we didn't have a website we just like put up a vimeo channel and put three videos up from that session and that was it that was like the very beginning of it i still had a day job at that point and we just started from there and it was basically like until you have something to show people you can't convince people to do session. So once we had that, we used that to get other musicians to say, yeah, cool. Like we'll come play for you. And went from there.
0: Was it always relatively easy to get artists or did you feel like it was ever a challenge to get?
2: Yeah, totally. Totally. It was really easy. Um, because again, people didn't really have much to do in San Francisco press wise. So they had a few hours. What we were asking them to do was really simple. It was like play music live and give us an interview um, it's gonna take only a few hours. There's nothing like insidious or like behind what we were doing. There was no like commercial interest really beyond just like making the videos that were gonna help promote the bands. In hindsight, maybe we should have had some like commercial interest in in it. I mean, you you were fans. So it's, yeah, it's like we were fans. It was easy to get people to say yes because we were just like, we love you hang out with us in san francisco we'll like you know buy beers and you guys can play music it was like very simple and also you know at that time i don't think there were tons of outlets for bands to do that kind of thing it was like you could get on late night tv and you would do a live performance thing or you would do like stripped down performances at radio stations and stuff but there wasn't a lot of things where it was like we could play songs for these dudes in the studio or in san francisco and then like a week later the videos are going to be up online Mm -hmm. and a lot of the bands that we were shooting were not like playing jay leno the next day like they went on to become that for sure you know like you look at our early catalog there's a lot of artists that have gone on to become really big but when we were after them and asking them to do stuff, they were keen, eager to promote themselves. So we were just like one way of doing
0: that. From that start, as you've continued doing this, how has that evolved in terms of the work that you've made, in terms of the artists? Like, what do you see as being the
2: the evolution of yours truly? I think after a certain point, we just looked around and saw that there were lots of other outlets with different names popping up doing the same thing that we were doing so there was a live show thing in philly and boston and sweden and there was just a lot of copycats for lack of a better word and it's not like we owned the idea of shooting bands perform songs but we also saw that the format was just getting crowded and kind of tired and we were wanting to learn more and get more intimate and deeper into the lives of the musicians that we liked. It was like when they're performing, they're letting you into a certain degree, but we wanted to go much deeper than that. So we started asking artists to spend more time with them um, to show us the interior of their lives, um, to show the things and confront the things and ask the questions that, they may not give in a traditional, you know, really short interview. We wanted to get to the point where artists were comfortable enough to really share themselves with us and with the audience in turn. So we turned our focus away, almost exclusively away from performance and to kind of the short six to eight minute portrait documentary where, You get a variety of looks at the artists over, you know, a two or three day period. And we wanted to tell stories with the beginning and the middle and an end and to put the artists at the center of that story. And basically, these are like autobiographical narratives about one artist at a time. And we started doing that on the video side. And then after a while, decided we wanted our website and our approach to music journalism to reflect that desire to just go deeper. And so last year, we changed the format and changed the look and the feel to focus on profiling and going really deep with one musician at a time, sort of as a response to a lot of other music websites that you can go to and see 50 to 100 you know, new pieces of news or music at once. Right. And that's cool. Like you go to Pitchfork and there's a ton of great information and you scan it and find the stuff that is relevant or important to you. What we wanted to say was this one thing is really important to us and therefore we think it should be important to you. You touched on
1: something really good about just like taste And, like, I think that's so important. Like, we've been talking about that lately. We're trying to figure out, like, what is it about our clients and the people we work with that kind of keep coming back besides just, like, we get videos made. Yeah. Yeah. And it's got something to do with just our taste. And, like, and that's just I think that's really cool that you guys kind of, like, went full on for that. Like, yeah, instead of, like, you go to Pitchfork where you can find anything you want you go to yours truly and it's just one artist mm-hmm. who most likely you haven't heard of or heard from or have not had like access like this before. What made you decide to do that? Like what made you, why focus on like one artist versus mm-hmm. a, a bunch that you know are going to get guaranteed like clicks or something?
2: Well, one is that we were never really motivated by traffic in that, in that way, because as a production company, We made money producing content and events and doing stuff for brands. So we didn't choose a format where we needed to produce content that drove traffic in the traditional sense. So we were freed up from what a lot of media companies and websites are beholden to, which is engineering virality, for lack of a better word. So we didn't need our content to go viral. So we were free to choose Musicians with big and small followings and or, you know, make videos that didn't like work with the sound off on the Facebook feed. Mm -hmm. You know, like it was part of like, let's spend some time on the sound design of this video so that people who actually watch it are really gratified. So why did we choose to focus on one musician at a time? You know, we're looking around and just thinking, like, what are we doing that's actually unique and, or what can we do that's actually totally unique in the marketplace? Like, what can we offer to music fans that isn't out there now that they can't get anywhere else? Because, like I said, there's lots of people who are doing what we were doing. And yeah, what did we want to stand for? Like, what, what was our unique value and our unique brand? What do we care about? And we realized that we really cared about making really conscious and careful choices about who we wanted to spend our time with. And then also like demanding that reciprocal respect from the artists to give us their time. Sure. We could do a phoner and do a piece of content and it'd be out tomorrow, but it wouldn't be any different from the same piece that someone else is doing. So Mm -hmm. what we found rewarding was getting to know artists and telling their stories that, we wanted to translate it, that into the process of actually making the pieces, too. So if we decide that we really want to spend some time with someone, we're going to ask them to do the same with us and give us their time and give us access and be honest and not just kind of treat us like another news outlet to like promote their album. And in turn, because it took us some time and because they gave us their time, we wanted to give our audience enough time to spend with what became like really in-depth features you know, feature length articles, photography, videos, t-shirts, posters, stuff we would make in collaboration with these musicians.
0: It's cool. Cause I definitely see your, it's like, you're doing like, it's like longer articles, but also there's like almost like a photo essay component to it as well. Yeah. How much of that did you sort of find versus kind of knowing what the format was going to be? Like, how did you discover that new format?
2: Mm. it's not it's not a revolutionary format like great you know great magazine stories have lots of words and pictures what we add to that is videos that we produce and or videos that artists produce or things we do collaboratively we've done hour-long radio documentaries that we add to it as well so it's really like what are the things that we're good at making writing photos videos audio other like you know animations and illustrations and choosing the choosing the best ways of those options to tell the story and then we worked with an amazing agency called the color bright to build a website that was flexible enough to just contain all of those things and make them feel cohesively like they were part of a whole so every week looks a little different but there's only so many ways to tell a story it's like we just choose whatever works. I mean, we just mix and match elements. So for Toro and moi's week, it was like, we made a video and that's the centerpiece. And on his page, there's these cool little gifts of his journal. So you can see his sketches and you can see the poster he drew. And cause that piece is about his work as a graphic designer. So it makes sense that the photography is kind of like painterly. Like there's these big skies and these, um, It's just like really colorful and um, it feels like him. So we just try and tweak the mediums that we choose to meet the artist and express the story in the best way possible.
0: When you're starting, you know, there's an artist that you're going to work with. How much of that story, how much of that style do you kind of figure out ahead of time and how much of it do you
2: discover while you're in the middle of it? I'd say half and half. Um, I think part of our approach is that we don't want to bring in our sort of hangups and preconceived notions into a story and then try and just like use the artist's words for a self-fulfilling prophecy. Our approach is collaborative in that we ask artists, like, what are the things that you want to share about yourself? What are the things that other outlets aren't asking you? And that's how we arrive at something like Toro Iwa's focus on graphic design it's like he's made three albums everyone's asked him pretty much every question you can imagine and so we were just like what do you want to show us like what do you what do you care about what are you focused on and so that's how we arrived at that piece so really like there's an agenda setting that happens at the top of every story like what's the best way to make something that you're going to be really excited about that isn't something you're going to turn around and make again tomorrow so I'd say a lot of it is dis- is determined in partnership up front, and then in the process, new things are discovered. But the artist can't just show up to the interview. We- we'll never do a piece where people just show up and we ask them questions and try and make it without the artist having some insight into what the eventual creative is going to be.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: Have you ever found yourself in a situation where like you had to kind of reset the expectations? Like the artist shows up thinking that it's going to be something that's more kind of boilerplate and hmm. and you had to kind of
2: help to get get them out of that mindset? That stuff happens usually before we actually get started. Mm-hmm. Like we have to say no or we have to like decide not to do things when that is the case. When like when people are like, yeah, cool, this is great. Like you have 90 minutes. Yeah. And we're just like, yeah, there's so there's a lot of explaining up front, more so than artists show up and they don't really know what we're what we're doing. If we do our jobs, then people's expectations have been set. That's really cool.
0: It seems like in that process, like, because we definitely find it a lot too. like, I think because you said it in a great way, that's like curating work. There's a good balance of like saying no to projects a lot. yeah right? To, to hold that sort of like your aesthetic and, and not necessarily as a like the ego of it kind of thing, but like a to really offer something that is unique and of value.
2: Yeah, it's like artists are doing this because either they have a relationship with us or because they liked another piece that we've done because there are other websites with way more traffic than ours. So it's like if you wanted to do it for those reasons, then you could just turn around and do an interview with So and so, and you might get more clicks and more likes and whatever out of it than you would out of doing a yours truly piece. But if you want something that you can feel really proud of and go back to and give your fans a deeper look into your life or your process or show them a different side of you than you've shown before, then it's worth doing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we choose to do the pieces we do because we think that there's a great story or this is a great person or we we'll, or we're compelled. And because our business is, you know, services, it's, it's production for clients. Our motivations for doing editorial are not monetary. Mm-hmm. The money we make as a business comes in from clients and we basically spend the money on editorial so that people will see the stuff that we make and Will associate it with our name and they'll want to work with us. So we have to be really careful about the artists and the projects that we take on because it's our money that we're spending on those things. It's like there's no like hard and fast business case for like doing a Kevin Abstract music video. Right. Like we make a music video for Kevin Abstract because we think he's going to be a huge star and we love his idea for the video. And we want to have relationships with musicians like that because they've paid off in the past, and we're expecting them to pay off in the future. And we're proud of supporting artists like that. Mm-hmm.
0: There's a really like it's it's something that that I've been thinking about a lot. That's like there's a type of production, type of work that is like it's execution. Tell us what you want, and we're going to make it. And I and I think that to have an an additional aspect that is. We're going to put the work in that we believe is going to make this the best possible, and that's really like you're looking to us to bring that, mm-hmm. as opposed to you know like watching somebody and making sure that they do the best work possible. It's like it's a very I don't know like in the crew that we're working with, giving them the the encouragement, empowerment, and hiring them because they're going to do their part as best as possible and better than we're expecting, to like bring somebody on to say hey make a piece, make what you think is the best. You're hiring us because we're going to do what we think is the best work possible. I don't know just think, thinking about it, but like I don't have really
2: a question there. Well, yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of production companies and we have to differentiate ourselves so that when a job comes up, people say, you know what, these guys would do a really good job. Mm-hmm. And by having your own voice and by having opinions and by producing things that have your name on them it helps to differentiate you from the thousands of very very capable talented people who could take on any of the jobs that we've ever been given so how do we ensure that people think we're the best for it best like best candidate for the job is make good work <laughs> in in <laughs> And, and like, you know, take ownership of of that process, not wait around for the jobs to come, like make things and make sure people see them. And hopefully people remember that we did it. So
0: obviously like, you know, you have clients, they're coming to you, but what portion of that is you actively just seeking out, you know, unsolicited, just saying, Hey, I think you're an awesome artist. You know, we want to do some sort of piece with you. Do you find yourself doing
2: that much? I mean, all the editorial stuff is that, is us pitching artists to do stuff. Because we're not, like... I mean, we get a ton of, like, hey, cover this artist stuff, but most of, like, the publicists and things, like, aren't expecting the level of commitment that we ask for from musicians. Yeah. So we really have to, like, go after them for the people that we want to work with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's fun. Like, it's fun to go chase after an artist you really love. So (laughs) in terms of artists pretty much pursuing everyone that we want to work with and then like beating them up until they'll give us enough time to make something great <laughs> in terms of clients though, like we're, I'd say a lot of that is incoming. So we, we've kind of, we have like a few client relationships that have happened, you know, been multi-year things where we'll do, you know, four films one year and this year we do more and, Those have been like like pretty steady for us. But I would say that if we were smart, we would hire someone or figure out something, figure out a way to spend more time doing like new business development, because that's like, you know, people hire based on relationships. Even if they've seen your work, they may not think of you. (laughs) A lot of the stuff we've ever been hired for has been very proactive. It's been like, we have an idea for a series. Mm -hmm. We're going to pitch it to this brand. And they get down with it. And that becomes something that sustains us. But then you get caught up in producing the things that you've sold. And then you have to also make time for coming up with new things and finding new people to sponsor or buy or adopt those things for their campaigns or whatever. So that process, the sort of like outgoing pitching thing is like, it's important. <laughs> I don't, I don't mm-hmm. think it gets enough emphasis sort of like saying that because I know I need to hear it. Cause I know that that's like my job. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're pretty much in the same boat, man.
1: <laughs> uh, Cause yeah, over here it's the same, pretty much the same thing. We're like, yeah, focused on making the work and then mm-hmm. you're like, Oh Yeah. Like, there was a point where, there's, you know, we're, we still got the three of us, uh, you know, Chris is doing what he does, but yeah, at some point we kind of handed that stuff over to Chris because we were like, we can't all be, mm-hmm. you know, in production all the time. So anyway, it's just like, interesting to hear your take on it and you're going through the same things.
2: Yeah, man. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Running a business.
0: <laughs> I, I'm curious about your, um like, for us, what keeps us going as a business, is that we know that we're we're always evolving and growing and, you know, finding new ways to do better work but also to, to keep ourselves as engaged and, you know, still loving this as much as we possibly can. And there's definitely times where that gets hard and it feels like we kind of found a rut, you know, and it, it, it ebbs and flows. It's like, you know, you get a busy couple of months and you just, you're working. But how do you guys stay kind of... I don't know, like always kind of like learning and growing. And or, or, or how do you think of that growth, like as you continue to do
2: this? Well, we're lucky because we work in music and there's like no shortage of interesting stories to be told about musicians or using music. So there's a pretty steady flow of inspiration there. I would also say that you have to just try and not stick to any like particular format or mm-hmm. a particular way of doing things like we've pretty consistently try to take on projects that we've never done before i feel like r- running a business is like is all about teaching yourself how to do things you had no idea you know how to do before it's <laughs> <laughs> pretty accurate it's like promising people that you can do things that you have no experience doing and then you teach yourself to do them in the process and then you're like oh okay now we can do this yeah so there's that the other thing is like we're at a place where there are really smart people that work with us and for us too like and they're like younger and like smarter than we are like bob (laughs) and i are and um i don't know like if you keep your ears open you will learn from them and and now i'm at this place where it's like damn what am i doing here like how am i going to keep these like smart people that work here (laughs) interested and engaged in working here because they can go do whatever they want because they're capable and like they've gained like valuable experience working for us but like downstairs there's a kid named Andrew Sales who has worked for yours truly for years and he's directed some awesome and some of our best work recently and he's working on a really good video right now on this band the books and nice I like, you know, sit down and watch what he's working on. I'm like, damn, this is so good. Like, I'm so excited that you're sitting here. are working on this. And I just want to like remain in a position where he like still considers my opinion valuable. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, and it's the same thing. Like we made this great like Kevin Abstract music video. And I basically just heard Kevin's music, liked it. And was like, we're going to help you in any way you can. Let us know how we can help you. And they had an idea for a music video, and it was like, great, we'll help you make it. And a girl who works for us, Frances Capel, again, who's been working for Yours Truly for, I guess, a year or so, she just, like, did it. You know, she produced a music video. She'd never done that before. She produced Yours Truly stuff, but, like, she produced this music video, handled the budget, like, made it all happen. And we got to put our name on a music video, and I didn't really have to do anything, like... I just told her to work on it, basically. So, um, yeah, it's like figuring out how to like get the fun and challenging work and then making sure that the people you work with and yourself are up to meeting the challenge. Mm-hmm. I
0: want to read this thing that is on your site because I really like it. Uh, but I'm just going to read it and then I want to get your take on it. We don't do content. There's enough of it. We tell slow stories that stick with you like a song that last like a letter. There's never enough of that.
2: You're fucking with it? (laughs) We fuck with it. Yeah, for sure. That's cool. Uh, I mean, I I guess yours truly has some um, kind of like hopeless, romantic, cheesy roots in that yours truly is a way to sign a letter and letters are a very sincere form of communication They're analog, they take some time to produce, they take some time to get there, they take some time to read. If someone sends you a letter, you're gonna cherish it more than you would an email
1: Mm
2: -hmm. or like a DM. So the name yours truly is derived from this place of like cherishing communication that takes effort to both produce and consume and so we don't aspire to make viral videos though those people are millionaires who can do that effectively (laughs) yeah we want to make things for people who are willing to watch stuff without keeping four other tabs open and actually looking at those other things Mm -hmm. we want to make stuff that will follow people around even after they've you know kept scrolling Mm -hmm. um slightly kind of different avenue
1: but like you mentioned journalism a few times and you know obviously knowing your work you you kind of dip into like documentary film and various mediums but is there like are there specific artists that like inspired you kind of along the way whether they're like I don't know like or or journalists even it's kind of a broad question
2: but I'm just interested to hear I guess I've been spending more time reading good Journalism and listening to podcasts and watching stuff than I've ever done before. Like I feel like for the first few years, I felt like my job was just to like be an in the know music guy to find artists early and develop relationships with them, and that's still part of it. But now I'm more interested in and inspired by just like reading great writing, like reading Jenna Wortham but the New York Times Magazine or Gene Demby on NPR's Code Switch or Song Exploder or Radiolab or, you know, like, watching Moonlight um, or just, like, looking at the Vimeo staff pick section and just, like, watching stuff. I feel like it's not really enough to just have good music taste to do what we're doing now. And so... Is that thrilling or exhausting? (laughs) It's thrilling to try things that are new. It's also... It's not scary, but it's like, oh, shit, there's a lot of really smart people out here doing incredible work. How can we get this good? Like, How can we how can we do stuff at this level? You know, reading things and watching things is like this weird kind of motivation where it's like, at times, demoralizing, <laughs> exhilarating, terrifying, and inspiring. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, well, fuck, this can be done. Definitely. We could do this. But oh, this is so good. We'll never do it this good. <laughs> You know, all right, we can do it, you know, and, and honestly, like Bob is a really constant source of uh, of encouragement mm-hmm. for everyone here. He's a great coach, and I'm very quick to be like, everything's fucked. And he's like, <laughs> well, uh, yeah. And, and, and also like the confidence of being in situations where everything was fucked and then figuring out how to get out of them yep. is also helpful. Yep,
0: Those moments, I feel like are really revealing of character. You know, yeah, it's like sure, it's like you need those to remind you that you are capable that you do have that drive, you know that the that the ship won't go down,
2: <laughs> yeah, for sure,
0: for sure. what do you think it takes to to exercise that to stay like I don't know what it is, you know, current, vigilant, always you know not losing sight of like why you're really doing this and what that like taste is what what do you think that takes
2: mm, I don't know I wish I knew yeah uh, I think I think you have to pause and remove yourself from the tasks of your life and your job to see where it is you want to go because if you get bogged down in the minutia and the process and just like here are the emails i need to answer today and here's the stuff that i need to do in order to do my job Mm -hmm. then you're never going to look at what's next or look at where you've come from Mm -hmm. and i've been doing a lot of that lately just like looking at my career and just thinking well if we went left here instead of right maybe this would have happened how do you create enough distance from your job The tasks of your job in order to to see what your job should actually be to see that the work that you're doing is the right work and I don't know the answer to that like it's so easy to do in hindsight but like how do you in the present be executing and evaluating your situation like executing what's before you and then evaluating how you could be doing it differently or if it's the right way or like you should just not be doing it at all that shit's really hard I don't know. And I think part of it is like having like outside perspective. You have your partners and they're in it with you and they want you. Everyone wants to win. But I think sometimes they're also because they're in it with you. Their vision is limited in the same way yours is. Mm -hmm. And so I've been thinking like, wouldn't it be beneficial or helpful to have someone who isn't working here? to bounce ideas and situations off of to make sure that it's being looked at from all angles Mm -hmm. to see that whatever it is you're trying to tackle is just I don't know I lost my train of thought it's just basically like I want sometimes I wonder whether if having an even and experienced advice from people outside of this office would yield results that are more beneficial long-term than they are about executing a short-term goal or a short-term task. Yeah. It's definitely something
0: that we think about a lot and, and we spend a lot of time getting, getting
1: outside perspective. And, We've actually brought in consultants, Yeah, you know, a few times to come in and like, uh, Chris moved into CEO position, so he's got a person to kind of check in with and get perspective from, and that person's definitely more business-minded. You know, just getting yeah, getting all those pieces and kind of mashing it in your head and trying to <laughs> yeah <laughs> figure out the right way. <laughs> I mean, and
0: we've we've definitely got that from like a you know as we've grown over the past you know seven years now, like you know production people giving us insights, other you know agencies and production companies giving you know us their take on it and you know it's on us to be seeking that that kind of what we're not thinking of you know yeah. and to be seeking that like perspective from other people and then it's up to us to interpret that the way that it works for us right
2: for sure yeah and implementation is is everything it's just a practice it's like you have this idea about how you want to be as a business owner as a creative as a journalist or whatever but it's ultimately what do you wake up and do and then how do you do it any final
0: thoughts any like uh, anything that you didn't get a chance to talk about or or you know anything you
2: think is worth worth talking about Hmm. uh damn i don't think so does anyone ever say anything when the, when you guys ask this? I feel like that just makes my mind go blank. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. There's been a couple people who have
1: said, well, you never talked to me about this. I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah,
2: they were like, oh, yeah. my bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: I think uh, just last thought is sort of like for you, like what, like right now where yours truly is, like what's the thing that keeps you guys going the most? What's what's the most exciting for you right
2: now? Um, the idea of doing a feature length documentary or a TV show using the work that we've made and the experience we've gotten to reach more people to like make, tell a story that reaches a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Cause I think like, yeah, I think we've made some really cool things and I'm very proud, but I would love to make something that lots of people see. Yeah. (laughs) And I don't mean just like, because the brand bought media, And put it in front of people. Like, I want to make something or be a part of making something that really touches people, that they're compelled to share, that is like something that they can't wait to talk about after they watch it. Um, And new things are like that are coming out every day. Mm -hmm. And there's more opportunity to make that kind of work. It's just about having a great idea and putting yourself in a position to execute it. So, what keeps me going is this idea that one day like we'll make something that lots of people see. <laughs>
0: <laughs> nice. Awesome, man. Cool. Well thanks for talking to us,
2: man. Yeah. Sure, man. Yeah, it's really good to see you guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah
1: same. Good to see you too. Next time you're up here, let's uh grab a beer or something and yeah, let's likewise do it. when we're down there. Cool. Thank you to Will Abramson. And thank you to Skype for making it happen.
0: Uh and now, here is our epilogue. Goodbye. Bye. I was just thinking about the uh, the editing robot that's just cut, no cut.
3: Oh, don't you, like, press his nipples? <laughs>
0: yes, he's just got two buttons for nipples, and then he sits on the table in front of you, and you just have to press. But it, what was it? One? No,
3: it's it's you press down... You have to press the nipples the entire time well, when, until yeah, you want to cut. It's and the you no have cut. to let go. Yeah. yeah,
0: the no cut. You have to let go of it, and when, if, if you if you let go, of it, it just starts deleting everything on your timeline. You have to keep holding the button down.
1: Is he alive?
0: <laughs> I mean, you know, I, is
1: he like saying anything while you're?
0: <laughs> he just just groans. Ugh. Ugh. I don't think I want to be an editor anymore if this is the station I have to work on.
1: This is the new standard everyone uses.
0: It's <laughs> like a weird, like... It's like not full Cronenberg, but it's got that, like...
1: It's just enough of, like, a real body.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I feel like there would be people lining up to be editors if you just fucking touched a dude's nipples all day.
1: <laughs> it's a dude now?
3: <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I mean that's what I... Well, I imagine it as, like, a buff, like... Torso dude, and you're just pressing his nipples. I mean, I'm
0: kind of imagining it as just like I don't boxy know why, robot.
3: I, I think of it. Yeah. As why like, is it a buff guy? You know, well, it's like you know those fucking like dummies that they like. You, know, you always see like when when they do like the um, oh like the boxy training? yeah yeah. Or it's like one of those. Oh, oh, oh. Where it's just like it's just like this like buff dude. You so know? with the buttons are like weird fleshy. Yeah. Yeah. That's no, not like a. It's not like a like actual person. Is it like? Okay, Chris, weird?
1: draw me a robot. It just draws a buff man. <laughs>
3: And, just, and you touch him on the nipples. So you touch
1: him on the nipples, and he—that's and how he
3: works. Well, what are the nip? One nipple you have to press all the time
0: if you don't want to delete everything, and then the other nipple you have. So to...
1: just to keep your computer running.
0: Yeah, you have to hold the no cut button down,
1: which is a nipple.
0: Yeah. And then the other nipple is the. Wait. So what were you like? Did you think it was like a lady?
1: No, I thought it was like a boxy robot. I thought it, you said robot, editing well, robot. In my so mind, I thought in
0: my it was mind, just it like, a... like a toy robot that's just like, oh. like human size, oh. but but for whatever reason, I decided it was a dude. Also, like yeah, it's
3: just... I thought it was like one of those fucking uh, like training dummies that you just beat with like a baton. So is it like that's is it orange. like
0: weird? Yeah, it's like the orange kind of like. Fake fleshy.
3: Yeah, and it just sits there and stares at you with a buzz cut. (laughs) Buzz cut. That's what the robots look like.
0: It's like one of the muscles, the little wrestling muscle. Well, the
3: like the the dummies that you beat up. They don't have arms. They just have like a face and a torso, and they just look all mean. And they're they're on like a like a sandbag. I mean, if you're training to be a prison guard, have you ever wanted to be a prison guard? No, (laughs) not at all.